You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Dave Ammons. The church has a purpose, and I don't know if you know that, but what God does through the gift of his church, he left it as the gift to this entire earth. Come on, let me hear you one more time if you're thankful for what God has done in your life through the power of what his spirit has done in the church. Well, it's good to have you guys in here. Happy Sunday. You already got me sweating a little bit up in here. That was some good worship right now, and I hope you guys received that. Team, can I get a little water already? I worshiped a little bit strong on that, but that's okay. Hey, can we real quick say everybody a big hello to everybody online? Come on. And I just want to welcome you guys. I just want to say thanks again for always being so faithful to you guys. And I found out this week, we got a pretty big following in North Carolina, up in Charlotte and Raleigh. Hey, if you're up there, I just want to say thank you guys for being so faithful and joining us every single week. You guys are awesome. Uh, I love all the different crowds that we have joining us online. And it's nothing short of uh, just God is moving in this place. Y'all feel the presence of God in this place over the last few weeks? Yeah. Me and this guy, and I think there's one in the balcony. I'm pretty sure. There's a couple people who feel his presence in this place. Y'all feel the presence of God in this place? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to go ahead and dive on in. I gotta, I'm really excited about this message uh, of the series. This is the message that I was, I was kind of anticipating to get to. Uh, and so we're going to go ahead and dive on in, if you guys are okay with that. Uh, last week, we talked about the purpose of the church, okay? Uh, and, and what it's going to do in our lives in the in, really in the lives of every person who believes in the name of Jesus and participates in this thing that Jesus calls the church. And what we looked at is we looked at the first mention of the word church in the Bible. It's called ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia. This week what I want to do is I want to take a look at the first action steps of the church. Really what I want to look at is I want to look at how the early church responds to a few things. You see, life is kind of crazy up in Israel at this point. We're going to explore that. We'll see the context of what's going around that. But I think as a church, we can really lean in, press into how the early church responded and how it needs to be our directive and our motive as well. You see, Jesus tells the disciples, he says, hey, I need you to do something. I want to make sure that you stay in Jerusalem, and I need you to do it for a particular reason because there's something that's going to happen that's extremely important. I'm going to send a helper to you. His name is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes, fills this entire place. Scripture tells us that it empowers every single one of them, all 120 that are in this room, and now they are ready to do the work of the ministry. And I just love this correlation, and I think it's worth repeating. But Jesus didn't start his work, his ministry years of his life here on this earth until he too was also filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. The disciples and the other followers at this time, they have a very similar, the same experience, which, by the way, is still available to every single one of us still today, this this empowering and filling of the Holy Spirit. And they launch off into ministry into the age of the church. 
I'm going to give you a quick summary. This is Acts chapter 2. I'm going to pick it up in verse 14, and we're going to go all the way to verse 40. If you want to read it on your own, I'm not going to read every verse. I'm just going to give you a synopsis of it. So let me give it to you really quickly. So they have this upper room experience, this, this infilling of the Holy Spirit. The disciples, they're somewhere around the temple, because you've got to remember the Feast of Pentecost is going on. Okay, so there's services happening, there's prayer services going on, there's lots of people going, okay? There's somewhere very close to the temple. Not exactly sure where specifically, but there's somewhere around that. Peter begins to address this crowd and gives his first sermon being filled by the Holy Spirit. It's powerful. The crowd actually tells him back and they're hollering back to him, man, these people are drunk, and Peter's like, listen, it's only nine in the morning. Can't be drunk yet, right? And he goes back to him and he says, what's actually happening, I mean, y'all didn't respond to that at all. Do y'all get drunk at like nine in the morning often? Jeez. <laughs> she said it's five o'clock somewhere in case you missed it. What's actually happening here is they're confused because what they're witnessing is they're actually witnessing a prophecy unfold before their very eyes. This is Joel chapter 2 of what's going to be happening. He's preaching this, this prophecy from Joel chapter 2, and he says things like this. He says, your sons and your daughters, they'll begin to prophesy. Your, your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And it's in this moment that he says, and I will pour out my spirit upon you. He continues on and he reminds them about Jesus and all the miracles that he did. And this next part that he kind of goes into really cracks me up. I actually laugh a little bit every single time I read this. Because you're seeing it a couple times. He takes multiple opportunities to remind them. He's talking to the Jewish people. And he's like, hey, this Jesus figure that I'm telling you about, all these miracles, hey, I just want to remind you, you're the one who killed him. Like, you crucified him. Don't forget it. I'm like, this is some gangster stuff. We're going to see a lot of things that they did during this time period that is some true gangster stuff. It's, 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 I love this story. It's, it's amazing. But you can tell he was saying because he really wanted to make sure they understood this. And Peter ends this, this message. It really becomes his, his heart's cry throughout the New Testament is about the fact that Jesus did die on the cross for our sins. And then he gives this major key word that you're going to see all throughout the book of Acts. Because it's the power of the resurrection. And you're going to see this resurrected word many, many times. Scripture tells us that, these, that the words that this crowd is hearing cuts to the very core of this crowd. Cuts to the heart of these people who were there. The anointing was on Peter. And on that day, 3,000 people became believers and were baptized. Talk about a shoulder workout. Try to baptize 3,000 people. I mean, I get tired by the time we're done with like 60 over here. Next week, which by the way, don't, you don't want to miss Baptism Sunday. It's going to be absolutely powerful. We're actually combining like eight different things. It's Celebration Sunday. It's Baptism Sunday. It's Freedom Sunday. And I got like a 10-minute message for you. It's going to be absolutely powerful, Right? <laughs> It's going to be amazing, so you don't want to miss that. But that's what's taking place here, okay? The next day rolls around. Peter and John, they're on their way back to the temple, okay? More prayer services are going on during the Feast of Pentecost. Before they get to the temple, they meet this man. He's over 40 years of age. 
Everybody would have known about him. He's been lame since birth. Every day consists of begging for money. And he's looking for them to give him some money just so he can make ends meet, to get some food, to get whatever he needs. Peter says back to the man this, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. And in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. He grabs the man's hand and he pulls this man up. And it's in this action step that we see. The moment that this thing begins to rise up, he says, rise up and walk. And a miracle happens. This man is healed instantly. By no surprise, this man starts jumping around. He hadn't felt his legs in 40 years. He's like a baby deer. He didn't even know how to use them yet, right? He's jumping all around. He's screaming to all these people. There's thousands of people around the temple of Israel at this point. So it's no surprise that a group of people begin to form. This lame man who now begins to walk for the first time in his life comes over to Peter, puts his arm around him, begins to hug him, thanking him for what he had done in his life. Peter begins to address the crowd just as he did the day before, and a powerful sermon breaks out. 5,000 men are saved and baptized. So in two days, you have 8,000 men recorded to be saved and baptized. That's not even including women and children. You throw them in, we're up to about 16,000. Something crazy was breaking out. That's the power when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. This age of the church begins. It's unbelievable what we see happening. Immediately, the Jewish authorities, they're ticked. Because can I remind you, we're two months off. We're fresh off of a crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This isn't like hunky-dory land, like, ooh, kumbaya, we all love Jesus. Okay? This was a bold move and a bold risk of what they're doing. Jewish authorities, they're ticked. They arrest Peter and John. They've had enough. They're brought before what the, what the Bible calls the Sadducees, these Jewish rulers, and they question them. They interrogate them. I'm sure Peter and John were probably thinking, okay, this is it. I'm going to be crucified on a cross just like Jesus was. And here's what they demand of them. They demand, you need to stop preaching, but you need to do it in a certain way. You can still talk about them. You can still do all that kind of stuff. But you've got to stop preaching in Jesus' name. Isn't it interesting that even they understood the power of Jesus? Let's go to it in Scripture where we're going to be today. That catches you up. We're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 4. You can turn to it. We're going to camp out there for the rest of the day. I'm going to pick it up in verse number 23. Let's just read it together. They're going to put it on the screen for us here. It says this, on their release, Peter and John, they went back to the town. Okay, so they, they, they were in prison, were in jail, and they get released. Here's their next action steps. On their release, Peter and John, they went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, your, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and people plot in vain? You see, the kings of this earth, they rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, they meet together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, 
Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Okay, last week we sang about this, but I just want to remind you and show it to you. Keep that last verse up on the screen. But there's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Okay, and I'm going to showcase this to you in the action steps of the verses that we see here and some of the ones that follow. But here's what I ask you, that as I go through these, will you write them down? Will you jot them down? Will you put them in your phone? Because I want this to become your heart's cry. I want this to be the very thing that if you can give me a section of your prayer life, will you begin to pray for the church? Will you begin to pray for cathedral in a specific way? Because there's some action steps that I want cathedral to be known for. Because I, the, the way that I, I say it here is that when we would look at these action steps, and as I prayed about the service, I believe that the things that we see here, it becomes a church that has the favor of God on it when you act this way. It, it becomes the church that God blesses. And I'll prove to you how that is because we see the church grow in massive way. Actually, Scripture says daily their numbers grew. Daily they were adding to their numbers. There was something very special going on in the church. Three things that we see the people do in this first church. And, and, and I feel like I say this every time, but it doesn't get old to me, so hopefully it doesn't get old to you. But the Bible has every answer you need in life. I don't care what your situation is in life, whatever struggle you have, the answer is in the word of God, even how to do church. Whatever it is, turn to the word and I promise you, you'll get insight into your situation. Four things we see in Acts chapter four. Number one is this, write it down, prayer, prayer. The first thing that we see them do, and it's a marker of a church that God blesses and puts his favor you can literally see the hand of God going on a church that does this, but it's prayer. And I believe that we see this here at Cathedral in a major way. You see, we're in a season of praying and fasting in the amount of revelation, the amount of, of, of restoration that we see, supernatural healings taking place that you can't explain any other way than through the power of what is going on because as people are praying. I mean, how else do you explain the growth that we've experienced over the past couple months? You can't do it. Other than the fact when you realize we're praying something's particular. For the last couple of years, we've been praying verses like John 6, verse 44 that says this. No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws them. Father, would you draw them in? No one comes unless you draw them. Father, I know you have people going on Ashley Phosphate every single day. And for some reason, would you just make them feel like they got to turn into this church? And I can't tell you the countless stories that people will drive by on a Sunday morning going, I wasn't planning on going to church. I don't know why I came in, just felt like I needed to. I can tell you why. You've been prayed for. God drew them in. There's no other way to explain the amount of salvations and baptisms and mission giving. There's no way to explain it. All that's happening around here as a result of you praying. The results that we're seeing, can I just tell you, it's not accidental, right? This isn't the result of good leadership. This isn't the result of, of, of a phenomenal staff and, and some amazing volunteers. And believe me, I thank God every day for the talented people that we have. 
But what we're experiencing right now in this church is nothing short than the hand of God moving in the lives of his people in his church. It's God responding to the cry of his people, desperately calling on him. He's answering our prayers, saying, God, we need you desperately. I'm even willing to contend and say this, that the most important meeting that we do as a church isn't Sunday. It's the prayer meetings that we do on a Wednesday morning. And here's the reason why. It's because it's our action step. Every single one of us are participating. As you and I seek God as a church, as we do the hard work of praying, you know what the rest of life is? It's literally picking up the results of what God does in our life. When we pray first, we continue to see him do way more than we ever would on our own selves. The most important thing that we can do is pray because prayer, it's the thing that God does that energizes us to go through life with a power that's not our own. How else can you explain when he multiplies your efforts? How else can you explain that we become more effective when we bring it to him in prayer? Let me show it to you in our scripture verse for the day. This is verse number 23. It says this, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, went back to the church and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And here's what they said. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You see, the church hears that they've been warned not to preach. Cannot preach anymore in the name of Jesus. What was their first response? We're going to pray. Right? See, what's interesting here is Peter and, John's are, uh, and Peter and John are the ones that's threatened. You know, and I think so often uh, our response when things like this happen in our life is to draw inward. Right? We, we kind of go to ourselves. We may even have this, this, this personal prayer time. That, but that's not what we see here. Peter and John immediately go to the church upon release. Listen, our personal prayer time is, is massively important. Don't hear me say that this personal time is not good and cracked. I would say the opposite. You need to increase your personal prayer time. But we have to throw in because we see an important key here in Scripture, which is the importance of corporate prayer. It's why these 21 days just, man, they just jump off the page. Because there's a spiritual principle happening at play. It's power when a church prays together. And prayer is the thing that defines this early church. They pray when everything is going well and thousands of people are being saved. They pray when persecution begins to happen. They pray all the time. Okay? So let me show you this first prayer. And I want you to notice how different it is from you and I's prayer. Okay? This is verse number 24. And when they heard this, they raised their voices and prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of this earth rise up and the rulers, they band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. You see, they know exactly what's going on. They understand what's playing out before their eyes. Why? Because this has been prophesied years in advance, hundreds of years. This is, quite literally, this is a reading from Psalms chapter 2. Go to it. It looks exactly the same. This doesn't catch them by surprise. This doesn't catch God by surprise. 
He understands what's happening. But here's what I love is what you begin to see is, let me say it this way. Have you ever had a meeting that you got to go to, but you already know the end result before you step in? Like, how much more confident are you? (laughs) Yeah, I know how this is going to work. But how different is it when you go into the meeting and you're like, you're nervous. I don't know if it's going to go this way. I don't know if it's going to go this way. We gain confidence when we know the end result. This has been prophesied. They already know. Can I tell you that we know the end of the story? There's a confidence. And here's what's really cool that you see happening. And I hope that we get this on deep on the inside of us. Because when we stand firm on the confidence of what God gives us, it turns into courage. And we see this in the early church. We see this confidence turn into courage. Verse number 29, it says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word. Now, most of us would have this situation. Can I remind you? Jesus was crucified just two short months ago. We're not even 60 days past. Okay? They understand when they say consider their threats. i got to be honest. I don't know that I'd pray to the Lord to consider their threats. I don't want to be crucified. Y'all? No. You see, they're not even praying that the Lord keep you safe. You know, so often things happen in our lives and we just go, oh, Lord, would you put a little umbrella right over us? Lord, just keep us safe. Oh, God, would you put a little hedge of protection over us, right? And there's nothing wrong with those prayers. I pray them myself. I actually pray them over my kids every single day. But here's what I wonder, is I wonder if we're praying the wrong prayer sometime. You see, sometimes we're asking God to to make the problem go away, and all God wants to do is to give us the power, to give us the wisdom, to give us the courage, to give us the insight, to journey through this situation, so that way the goodness of who God is can be shown to all the people around us, and then people come and say, that can't be anything else other than God. Sometimes it's not to take the problems out of our life, but he wants to strengthen us so we can let his name shine. To show his glory in the problem. These are very real threats. Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Everybody say boldness. Boldness. Come on, these authorities, they're, they're telling them, hey, you cannot speak anymore in the name of Jesus. They're asking God to give them the boldness to speak. It continues in verse 30. And stretch out your hand to heal and to perform signs. God, double it up. Give us more wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. These authorities are saying no more in the name of Jesus. No more miracles. There's too many people who are being drawn to the the name of Jesus. And they're asking God... Mess with them, because that's not what I'm here for. God, we double down. God, double your miracles. Double your signs. Come on, anybody in here want to double the signs of healing up in this place? Come on, is there anybody who needs and believes for healing to happen in their life? I don't know about you right now, but that's one of my biggest prayers. God, would you increase your signs? Father, I want to double the amount of healings up in this place. Because when that happens, can't convict them. That was the power of the lame man. When the Sadducees were convicting Peter and John, you know, it's really hard to convict you when you have the miracle standing right beside you. Verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, 
And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Church, this was a life-changing prayer. Isn't it interesting that this sounds a lot like Acts chapter 2? You say, but didn't they already get filled with the Holy Spirit? Wasn't the whole place shaking and loud, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? Acts chapter 2 already happened. Why are they doing it again? Okay. The idea is that we continually get filled over and over and over again. But the problem with us is we leak. Okay? You get filled up, and then over time, the air leaks out of the tire. Okay? Let me tell you, we, we, we leak in two different ways. Either we drift away from God, and there's a hole in the bottom of the bucket. Drift further away, the bucket just drains out. Ever wonder why we're so miserable when we're not close to God? It's because we're empty. We're spiritually dry. The other way that we leak is because God fills us up so much that we have this overflowing principle that you hear in Scripture so often. And so the question becomes, do you want to be a person who leaks out the bottom or pours out the top in other people's lives? Either way, we're leaking. And so this whole thing is never meant, this whole process of the Holy Spirit is never meant to be a one-time experience. Rather, every single weekend that we come into this place, we come with a mission to fill ourselves up so that way we can be a blessing to other people in our lives. This happens every single day of our lives. Prayer is powerful in our life. And I want you to notice that in this scripture, did you notice that there is no delay in the answer that they get? Immediately they begin to profess and, and be able to speak boldly. It happens. But I want to tell you why. Because the most powerful force on this earth is not nuclear. It's not atomic, it's not military-based, and it's not government-led. The most powerful force on this earth is God's power in an answer to the prayer of his people. That's the power of prayer. Y'all can clap on something like that now. In fact, let me say this about prayer as it pertains to you in your life. Show me your prayer list. If you don't have one, get one in your head real quick. Got it in there? All right. We're all on the same page. Everybody's got their prayer list. Show me your prayer list, and I'll show you what your, your year is going to look like. I have 11 different areas that I pray through in my life. I treat them like a dashboard, like the thing on your car, right? I can tell you where I'm going this year, because every single week I open that document up, and I pray those 11 different areas in my life. Show me your prayer list, and I'll show you what your year is going to look like. They asked for boldness, and God gave them boldness. You know that God is not a respecter of any person? This is Acts chapter 10, verse 34. You see, God, God will do for you and I what he'll do for anybody who seeks him. There's not anybody in this room that's more special than others. He's not a respecter of person. They asked for boldness, and God gave them the boldness to speak the word of God immediately. They asked for miracles, and one miracle in Acts chapter 2 turned into many miracles in Acts chapter 5, even to the point that one of the verses says that every single one of them, all of the people were healed. I know it's rainy, but I'm going to get into y'all this morning. Is it still raining out there? Doesn't matter. God's rain's on our life. It's way better than that rain out there, I'm going to tell you right now. These people, they're praying God's working. In James 5, 16, we're told that the, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails 
much. This, this effective, fervent word, what we use as two words is described in one word in the Greek. It's called energeo, where we get the word energy from. But I don't want you to get like this energy of a two-year-old, right? You know, like they get so much energy, they never stop, right? Now, what the picture I want you to get is, is have you ever seen a, a, a pot of boiling water that isn't just like boiling, but it's like violently boiling? Like you got to get over there and turn that heat off real quick because it's like literally going everywhere, like red hot, spilling over kind of a boil. That's the energy that I want to get, okay? And, and the reason I say that is because I want to say this. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. They don't limit him. He's a big God. God can't help but to bless a church that prays. Number two, fellowship. This is verse 32. Write down the word fellowship. You can put a slash beside it. Put the word unity if you want. All the believers were in one heart. Underline that word if you, if you got it. In mind, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. This word heart in the Greek is homothumidon. Okay, homo meaning same, thumidon being the word that we get thermometer. Okay, so you can translate that now as saying the entire church had the same temperature, had the same passion, had the same interest, had the same desires spiritually. They were in one heart and one accord. You know, how many of you guys remember Hurricane Hugo? Anybody in here? Hurricane Hugo? Yeah, I lived through it. Uh, we had, I was four years old. We had to stay here. My dad was part of the emergency response team to get all the power. And so the, the thing that I remember at that young age, here's what I remember. Every neighbor came out of their house. It didn't matter what was going on. We were all trying to help each other, get trees off of roofs and making sure everybody was safe. All the things of life went away and the people became, we were of one mind. 9-11. 9-11 produced a nation that was never more filled with American pride. All the distractions of life that keeps us in our holes, all the infighting that we did came a little bit more into focus and, and we became one nation during that time period. You think about what, what happened to DeMar Hamlin, right? It was a situation that shone a spotlight on the power of prayer. Everybody on this nation all of a sudden became a believer in the power of prayer. It's powerful what happens when this true fellowship, biblical fellowship, another way to say that because unity has been hijacked in our society. But when you look at the biblical version of what unity is, it's the spirit behind this unity. When we have that, oh, it's powerful in the church. True fellowship and unity exist when believers think alike and they value the same thing. Now, what I'm not talking about is I'm not talking about a piece of paper that you sign when you join a church, Okay. Because we all know large groups of people that can sign the same statement of belief but can't stand each other and get on each other's nerves. I mean, there can be ink on the paper, but there ain't no true fellowship happening. I mean, we all know of churches that have imploded, right? It's amazing what can happen when we get so busy fighting each other and we stop fighting the true enemy. You can't lose sight of who that is. And I'm willing to say that we even see this playing out in our country. Unfortunately, we see this playing out in our families at too high of a percentage. They forgot who the true enemy is. Too many people have lost sight of the blessing of true fellowship because we've lost the sight of the enemy in our life. And when we lose sight of the enemy in our life, it becomes more about us. The, these, these selfish desires dominate. 
And then what ends up happening is all this fighting begins. Does that not describe what's going on in our nation and our families in droves? We've lost sight of who the true enemy is. You see, I believe that God has blessed Cathedral in a, in a very supernatural way as it pertains to this whole fellowship thing. When you look around this room, I love what God is creating as a community. Because I think he has his hand on us in a way of, of, of the fellowship that's happening among his believers in this church. And can I just say that, 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 that this is something that as your leaders, your leadership team of this church, this is something that we fight tooth and nail for. A lot of prayer goes to this very topic. I mean, sure, we have a lot of people who come against this from time to time. But we will do whatever it takes. Sure, we pray a lot, but we'll, do, we'll, we'll walk with you. We'll talk with you. We'll meet with you. We'll do whatever it takes because this is a non-negotiable because we see the importance of it as a marker for a church that God keeps his hand on. Which, speaking of this topic of fellowship, let me just give a, a, a small little plug for Growth Track. And, and here's the reason why. It sure gives us a good picture of, of where the church is going, right? But it, but it does more than that. It shows you how you fit into the church. It shows you what God and how God wants to use you, what God can do through you. And sure, the fallout of this process is purpose found, right? But it also has another fallout effect. And the fallout effect of it is that it increases this biblical fellowship that we're talking about in the church. It raises the spirit behind true unity in the church. Another thing that it happens, and you saw a beautiful testimony from T Tess Hagen with the power of what groups does in her life. Groups is another way to increase fellowship in your life. And I encourage you, dive into it and watch what God does. Because you'll see verses like Psalms 133 come true in your life. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. When we dwell in this fellowship that he so desperately wants for us. You see, as believers, we have to be passionate about this to say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to let something or somebody cause a divide and complicate things in the church. And this isn't just a leadership thing. But listen, I, I need every single one of us partnering arm in arm to have this kind of a mindset. We need each of you guys loving the church enough that when you feel this thing happening, like have you ever been in a conversation or met with somebody, that kind of feels a little yucky. I'm not sure that this whole fellowship thing is, I'm not really feeling kind of lifted. You've had that feeling, and sometimes you're like, I just kind of don't know what to do with it, right? Here's the stance that I need you to take, which is stop it right there. Stop it right there. The, this atmosphere that I'm talking about is worth fighting for. It's worth protecting. It doesn't happen by accident, but it happens by a lot of prayer and not giving it an inch. We fight for it. We protect it. I, I, I want you to hear me out because this, if there is a problem, know that we want to fix it, okay? Because, because here's how I think about problems. When problems are fixed in the church, I think it strengthens the church. Fixing problems strengthens the church. So don't not tell us if there's a problem. We want to fix problems. But I just want to make sure you understand something. There's a difference between problems and preference, Big difference between the problems that happen and arise and the preferences that you have. Let me give you a simple example. 
if it is too hot or a little too cold in here, bring a coat. Leave your coat at home. I don't care what you do. But it's not a problem that we're going to fix. I'm sweating my brains up here. I'm sure there's somebody freezing in here. You want to know how I know we get it just right? If I go out in that foyer and have the people go, oh, boy, man, can we turn some heat up in this place? And then I go to the next person, they're like, brother, can you stop pumping some heat? I'm like, man, we hit it on the head this weekend. This is awesome. Hit that happy medium, everybody's ticked, right? <laughs> Y'all don't do that. But there's power when the church values true fellowship. When we value, you know, and here's the reason why. The world's watching. And when they see it, feel it, touch it, experience it, it's attractive. It's the very thing that goes, oh, I don't know what it is that you guys have, but I got to have it in my life. You know why? Because they don't get it in a dog-eat-dog world. Fellowship, it, it doesn't happen in our world. All right, that's enough. Let's keep going. Number three, it's generosity. This is verse number 32. It says, all the believers, they were in one heart, one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. For this last point, I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that it doesn't say that a few people were generous. I want you to notice that it doesn't even say that a certain group of people were generous. Know that it also doesn't say that, that, that there's a few people who said, you know what, we need to start a ministry to help people in need. And those are all great things. Okay? Love those ministries. But I just want to point out that there's something very special going on here. There, there's something supernatural when, when God gets in hold of an entire church and makes them generous. There's something, and for this first, this, this fourth sign that I see going on here as an attribute of, of, of the church that God blesses, there's just something amazing about generosity. And as I was thinking about this point, and I, I kind of started going in through my head and, and playing over the last couple months as a church, just kind of thinking, God, where are we as a church around this whole topic? What would you have me say? And here's what I think that I've come through as I landed on this point. Which is this, which is generosity is something that is really worth talking about. Am I out? Halfway? I can project. Let me turn this off. Here's what I think as it pertains to generosity. Is I think generosity, it is something worth talking about. Okay? Mainly for the reasons of I want it to be something that we never, ever forget. Vision leaks. So if we don't keep it in front of us, it'll go away. So I think there's value in it. But here's what I think as I landed on it is, is I don't really think I honestly have to say too much about this topic to you. Other than this. Which is thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the church that you've become. Because you don't really know this. We don't really talk about this a lot as a church. But do you guys realize that you've given over $45,000 over the past couple months? I'm not talking about tithing. I'm talking about meeting needs that the church, Big C Church, didn't take care of. Y'all did. I didn't ask for it. We didn't announce it. Out of the goodness of your heart, can I say thank you? Because you're living this principle out, going towards families who are in need all across this low country. 
helping numerous people right here in this church who have major needs. You hear about it and you say, not a problem, I'll take care of that. You're living this generosity theme out. You're helping expand ministries that are happening in Sri Lanka. Developing more churches, developing campsites that are affecting thousands of Sri Lankans around this whole reconciliation effort. You're helping kids who can't afford to go to Cathedral Academy and experiencing this thing that we are so passionate about called Cathedral Academy, which is, is this whole kingdom education, which is, which is an atmosphere that the rest of this nation kids aren't experiencing. It's not that we just have a Bible class, but how does the kingdom of God affect our entire life? And, and you're giving that even to kids who can't afford it because you see the value on it. The list goes on and on, but I, I honestly just want to extend a very sincere thank you. And what I also love about this is as we're growing, the spirit of generosity is, is contagious. And I see it jumping on more and more people. Actually, let me just say this. Something we don't talk about a lot. But our benevolence has gone way down because y'all meet the need before we ever even get a chance. I love that. That's an attribute of the early church, and it's an attribute that I believe, man, keep it up. Don't ever forget that because it's attractive. Let me end by showing you this. This is the last verse in uh, chapter 4. It says this in verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, that's an island in the Mediterranean right off of Israel, okay? This guy's from there, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Now, Barnabas, when you read the rest of the book of Acts, you're going to see he, he's, a very, he's a main figure. You're going to see him a lot. And they call him Barnabas, but his real name is Joseph. wonder why they did that. Here's why. Because he was such an encourager. He's always encouraging us. He's always lifting us up. And they give him this nickname. And I want you to think about this as it pertains to generosity. Because the next verse, which is verse 37, it tells us that this man, he sells a piece of land and he gives an entire profit to the church. The church is exploding. They have all kinds of needs. And so he gives this whole thing to him. But I want you to notice how generosity and encouragement go together. Because when a person is truly generous, it goes beyond just their, their giving. It becomes who they are. It becomes a part of their lifestyle, wrapped up into everything that they do. Here's what I mean by that. They're generous with, with how they talk about people. You don't have to worry about what they're going to do behind your back because they're not going to talk bad about you behind your back. You know what you're going to do behind your back? They're going to brag about you. That's what a generous person does. A generous person... Uh, uh, is generous in the way that they treat other people. They're generous in, with their time and their wisdom and their, and, and their insight because the nature of a generous person is extra. They don't do the bare minimum. They, they, they give extra in the tip. But a generous person also knows that it's not just tied to money because they see an individual as God sees them, which God sees value in every single one of us. They encourage them. They try to create value in them as well. A generous person sees people, not just an employee providing a service. And, and I hope you see the difference of it's not just about finances. Rather, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of doing life. Generosity makes a difference. And when I was studying this, I struggled with the good bit of, God, what, what do you want us to do with this? 
That's why I just want to say I, I thank you for loving God. Th- thank you for being a praying church. Thank you for being a church that allows us to continue to go after what God has called us to. Can I say thank you for being a generous church? I don't want you to ever, ever lose that. Keep modeling that principle well. Amen? How how else do you explain what's happening around here? I mean, how else do you explain over 600 salvations? How else do you explain hundreds of baptisms? How else do you explain people finding true freedom in their life for the very first time? Every single weekend we're hearing about it. We've grown by hundreds in just two weeks. Let me remind you, it's not a result of good leadership. It's not a result of how amazing our staff is or how amazing our volunteers. Because that would cheapen what God is doing in this place. It's a result of the favor of God on this place, and we see it all throughout Scripture, and we see it all throughout. God's hand is on this place. There is no doubt, and all I can tell you, get ready. I wish I could tell you how this thing's going to look and what it's going to look like, but I can't. And I know that doesn't bring you comfort. But I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being who you are. And we love you guys so much. Let me end by praying for you. Lord Jesus, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you for who you are in our life. Thank you for giving us your word and just describing even how we're supposed to act as a church. Lord, would you bless us with the ability to never forget to be a praying church? Would you bless us with the ability to never forget this whole thing of true fellowship? That when we feel it, we stop it right in its tracks. It's an atmosphere that we stand firm on and we fight for. Lord, we ask for your blessing to never forget to be the spirit of generosity. And Father, we just ask that you continue to overflow us in a way that we can be a light right here in this low country. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.